2 Thessalonians today, and we'll be looking at chapter 1. We'll be reading here in a moment, 1 through 12. So if you want to turn in your Bible and be in that place, we're going to be reading through that Scripture, working through that Scripture. And so I don't know if your family is like our family. I hear different people talking. Yesterday I was at a ball game. I heard people talking about this type of thing that, um, you know, with, with the uh, TV the way it is today and the streaming services, you can find something that's really good and then dive in as a family and, and watch a series of some sort. Well, um, recently we, we kind of, our family got, we got into several things over this whole COVID period time, but most recently we've been watching Fixer Upper. How many are familiar with Fixer Upper? Man, I love some fixer-upper. You know, Chip and Joanna Gaines, they go into the, the city of Waco or the area surrounding Waco. They go into the best neighborhoods. And there they find the worst homes in those neighborhoods to turn those homes into the dream homes of their clients. That's what they do. It's an amazing thing to see. Sometimes I've seen the houses, these houses will be there, and, and it's just like, you are kidding me. You know? and, and it's funny how they'll go through and they'll show the different homes, and they typically will pick the worst home there. That's just, just all to mess. There's trash in it and all these kinds of things. And lots of times they'll just totally rip off the walls, rip out the floor, rip off the ceiling, and you can just see the whole thing there. It's just a foundation and a framework. Really, over the last couple of weeks, that's what we've been doing with our prayer focus. We've been doing a little fixer-upper. What we want to do, or what we have done, is, is if the first week we looked at just the idea of what keeps us from prayer. What kind of work do we need to do? What kind of, of a situation is our prayer life? And then last week, AJ reminded us, because of faith, hope, and love, that that, that, that empowers us. And those, those things, faith, hope, and love, empower us only because there's a great God behind us. A great God who loves us, who, who hears our prayers, who earnestly wants to know uh, and relate to us, wants us to cry out to Him, to rely upon Him more and more. And so we today are going to move into a time of, of a model. So we have a foundation, we have a framework, and now we're just going to add some beauty to the whole, the, to the series. And for this, this week and next week, we're going to look at uh, uh, Paul's prayers. We're going to look at a few of his prayers. Because Paul's prayers are amazing. We probably don't think much about Paul's prayers. We probably look into the Old Testament for the prayer book there in terms of the Psalms. Or we may look to the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that he taught his disciples. But most of the time, I think we just read over Paul's prayers. Because as I was telling AJ this morning, even as you go through this text, it's easier to talk about and to apply what he's saying there, what he's actually kind of praying for the church there, than it is to, 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 to think about those in terms of how we should pray. So that's what we're going to do this morning and next week, is we're going to look at Paul's models of prayers for us, and we're going to see what insights they may bring to us. What might we learn from Paul? How might Paul inspire and encourage and enrich our prayer life. So let's look at 2 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. 
Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right. Because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because of our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good work and every work of faith by His power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reading of God's holy word. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for your love and mercy. I pray that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and that you would gracefully encourage us this morning in our prayer time. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, as we consider this, Paul's prayer here is, is extremely short, really. It's only verses 11 and 12. And actually, it's a little bit more of an overview that he prays here than actual praying. But yet, as we step back and consider the whole passage that we read here, we actually see a penetrating basis of Paul's praying here. Uh, we see what drives it, what informs it, um, and that it is a biblical model for us. Again, it's a model like the Psalms. It's a model like the Lord's Prayer for us. And, and so it's instructive and, and very helpful. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this prayer, and we're going to see the, the basis that he lays out for us. We're going to look at, first of all, the thankfulness for God's grace. Thankfulness for God's grace. Secondly, we're going to see there's confidence in God's plan. And then finally, the focus of God's glory. All those are in Paul's prayers as we will see unfold. So let's think about, first of all, the thankfulness of, uh, for God's grace. And we're looking specifically at, at, at uh, verses 3 through 4. So notice in verse 3. 
that Paul begins the second letter to the church of the Thessalonians with thankfulness. He begins with thankfulness. So let's slow down just for a moment and let's consider what it is to be thankful. What, what, what is that? Well, Webster defines thankful as being conscious of a benefit received. It's being conscious of a benefit received. So, for example, sometimes as you have prayed at meals, maybe you've heard someone say this, for what we are about to receive, uh, make us truly thankful. It is a consciousness of the benefit of a great meal. You know, sitting there, uh, smelling it, uh, being thankful for the person. You know, most of the time it's the mom that has prepared that meal. And, and you just can't wait to dive in. Maybe you've been working out. Maybe you've been outside all day playing children. And you're so hungry. And so it's a great time to really, really be thankful. Instead of coming in and saying, hey, where's my supper? You see what I'm saying? Be thankful. And, and so that's kind of the, the picture of it here. Um, uh, the word also has the meaning of being well pleased or glad. Uh, for example, we're thankful that it did not rain on the day of the picnic. Everybody in the church was very thankful for that. Uh, we may be thankful for traveling mercies. I know one time, I think I've told this story before, but we were going up to Oklahoma to go camping. We were pulling this, this huge camper behind us that we actually rented. And we had a flat on the way. And of course, I mean, listen, this is the way it happens. It's raining. And I don't know where I am. I'm somewhere in Oklahoma. And I'm, I pull off in one of these median areas. And I'm sitting there. And I go out and look at the flat. I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? I don't have the jack necessary to jack this thing up. So I'm like, well, maybe I can use the car jack. You know, It was the Suburban, so it was a little bigger. And so as I'm out and I'm underneath this thing. And I'm putting some board under it that I found on the side of the road. So it wouldn't seep down in the mud. This guy pulls up. He has a big jack. We jack it up. We take the tire off. I go around the back. I look at the spare. The spare is flat. I just look at the guy. I'm sorry. He goes, I got an air tank in my truck. I'm like, you're kidding me. He comes over. He pumps up the tire. We, I thank him, I hug him, I bless him, I do all those things. And then he drives off and we drive off too. Thankful, 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 thankful. That is thankfulness. So thankfulness is being blissful, it's being delighted, it's being gratifying. It's being happy, it's being joyful, it's being pleased, it's been, being satisfied, it's being tickled pink sometimes. So, we see here that the first basis of Paul's prayer then is true and deep thankfulness and delight to God. It always is. It always is. But note here what he is thankful for. For as we move through verses 3 and 4, notice what he is giving thanks to the Lord for. He is thankful for their growth. Their increasing love, their perseverance in the midst of affliction. This is the basis of his prayer for the Thessalonians. That they are growing in Christ. And this is his main concern. And if we think about that, and if we think about what we're typically thankful for, I would surmise that most of us are almost strictly focused on physical health, uh, uh, and, and physical um, 
I guess, being uh, happy or, or having things taken care of for us, physical help or, or just happy and things are taken care of us, as well as the idea of material well-being. So now we very well should be thankful for those blessings in our lives. But here's the thing I don't want you to see in this prayer. If, if that's all there is to our thankfulness, then it, it may reveal to us a short-sightedness in our lives to what the Lord would have us aim for as the children of God. See, Paul's concern here went beyond all earthly and physical health and material well-being. We see here in verses 3-4 through four that he was concerned for their growing faith. Now, what is growing faith? It is a growing reliance upon the Lord and not the things of this earth. And so Paul was also apprehensive for their love for one another. Times of difficulty together can, can draw people into love, a, a tighter loving relationship, or it can, and it can divide people. Uh, you see here in our current situation, uh, in our culture today with this uh, COVID virus, the way that manifests itself. They were being tested by outside forces seeking to strip away their faith. And so Paul was very thankful for their steadfastness and love for one another. They were strong together. And they were not letting the enemy divide them. They were bonding together in the love of Christ. Paul was also concerned for that perseverance. In all that they were going through in these spiritual attacks, they were persevering. Therefore, Paul's prayer went beyond any physical health or material well-being. He was thankful for the grace of the Father as the Father was holding this little precious church together in faith and in love and in perseverance in the midst of tremendous outside and pressure for His own glory. And so I'll ask you a question. What is the basis of thankfulness in your heart? Is thankfulness for God's grace a basis? Because grace can, can be about travel mercies that we have, and grace can be about our growth in Christ. Are we thankful for our growth in Christ? Are we thankful for the strength of the church and the, and the, the, the church growing into Christ-likeness? You see, thankfulness is not just you or another Christian or the church that has given testimony about the belief in Christ and His death for our sins on the cross. Sure, we want that. We want to be thankful for that. But if that's the only time that we're thankful for about what's going on here, then we're short-sighted. We need to be thankful about seeing one another grow in grace and in mercy and in truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we think about applying this in our own lives, I want you to note what Paul does with this thanksgiving process as we've looked here in verses 3 and 4. Look at verse 11 with me. Look at verse 11. This is the kind of the, the little prayer that he reveals that he's praying. In verse 11, To this end we always pray for you. Why? That our God may make you worthy of His calling. Do you see it? 
You see, it's out of this thankfulness that Paul has in seeing the grace of God in the church here that he prays they would continue to grow in grace. That they would live up to the calling of saving grace that they had received from the Lord. Not that they would earn it. That's not what he's saying here. Go out and earn. He's not talking about earning here. He's talking about living up to that saving grace. So do we have that mindset? Are we praying for ourselves and others uh, to become what we are meant to be? Are we praying for that person next to us to live out? and, and Well, to first of all learn about and then live out the kingdom values of Christ Jesus. Are we praying for those who are sick that they would in their sickness not only pray for healing, but pray for an eternal perspective about what they may be going through. About really where they may end up being, which is in the presence of the Lord. Are we praying for that same eternal perspective for our children? The children in the midst of our church. Do you realize the world that we live in today and how, I mean, of all the things that I think about in terms of the future, at least for this country and, 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 um, and how we've been living, is, is that, you know, our children may face things that we never thought possible. So are we praying for them to have faith and to have an eternal perspective instead of the perspective of the American dream? I would challenge us all to pray in this way. To let the, 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 the perspective, the, the focus, the main emphasis of our prayers grow in depth. That we would begin to pray like Paul. Praying in thankfulness, but praying for those spiritual matters. And so, for example, the next time our family goes on a trip, you can pray for us. Pray for travel mercies. But pray that my heart does not get angry at other drivers. Pray that I remain calm and cool and collected when I hear those words again. Are we there yet? Pray that I would be loving and kind on a family trip instead of a grumpy old man. You see the difference. And so let us think about how our prayers then can drive us from ourselves and, and from our health and, and physical well-being to, to the reality of the things of, of growing in grace and the things of ultimate reality and ultimate worth. All right, the second thing that we see here for Paul's prayers is a confidence in God's plan. A confidence in God's plan. And that's in verses 5 through 10. I briefly mentioned earlier that the Thessalonians were undergoing this outside testing from forces that were seeking to strip away their faith. These were certain Jews who were doing this in various ways, including trying to undermine the character and ministry of Paul, that they would just turn away from Christianity. I imagine the way Paul uses the language here that there were other things going on just as well behind the scenes that were ugly and, uh, ugly and uh, ugly of nature. So it truly was a trial that had the potential to cause great divide and perhaps the end of the church there in Thessalonica. Uh, however, under the trial, 
these people, this church had been had been steadfast in their love and, and they had been holding on to one another in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So with Christians around the world today uh, dying for their faith, being uh, exiled for their faith, enduring slavery for their faith, and all manner of persecutions, I think that I would be the first to admit that we don't know as much about deep trials such as this as Paul mentions here. At times, our so-called trials are, are, are somewhat trivial. Um, I read a story this week as, as I was looking for illustrations. Um, it's a story that, um, it's actually a letter that a man wrote to a newspaper. He wrote it to the editor of the newspaper. And, and what he was doing is he was giving thanks to the, to the editor and the newspaper for running a story about cars. He was a fan of classic cars. And it brought back a trial that this man had endured for some 40 years in his life. So here's the summary. I appreciate your article on classic cars. It brought back memories. Many years ago as a young man, I had a 61 and a 64 Corvette. But marriage and graduate school caused me to give them up. I still have the wife and the degree and the memories but nothing will ever replace those cars. Now, I hope that this man's wife did not read this. Because he'd be living in a car in a van down by the river. You know what I'm saying? Despite all that, though, clearly, think about it, this man felt as if he had gone through a deep trial. He had to part with those cars. And even some 40 years, think about it, some 40 years later, he's still thinking about the sacrifice that he made here. Sometimes this is the trials that we think we endure, isn't it? But in all reality, there's a lot deeper trials, aren't there? I have uh, hugged grown men as they've cried on the anniversary of the death of their child. I have heard um, voices of men and women quake in pain and anger as they disclose the infidelity of a spouse. Some hearing my voice have, have lost employment at critical uh, junctures in their lives. Some know what it is to have a friend betray them deeply. Others have heard the chilling medical diagnosis from a cherished loved one or even their own doctor. Some have experienced broken family relationships for which there was very little hope of remedy. Others have faced the long-term care of a family member with a debilitating and ultimately terminal illness. Don't we see that the list could go on and on and on? These are true sufferings of the world, the fallen world that we live in. The brokenness. But note again the passage before us. The even deeper suffering that the church here is facing uh, for the suffering. For the suffering of believing in Jesus. 
for having faith in Jesus. Notice Paul's language in verses 5 through 10. Think about this. There is, there's this evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. He will repay with affliction those who afflict you. Grant relief to you. And when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels and flaming fire, He will inflict vengeance on His enemies and our enemies because of Him. For those who believe, He will be glorified in them. And they will marvel at Him because they and we believe the testimony of Paul and the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ that the Son of God came to die and to take away the sins of the world. When we face the afflictions or the, or the persecutions of this world, we tend to lose grasp on our assurance and hope. We wonder whether our suffering indicates God's absence from our lives. Is he, is he not listening to me? Is He far away from me? What have I done? We wonder if He will ever bring release or vindications from the assaults or the troubles of our enemies. However, what Paul tells us here is we must, through those trials, through those afflictions, through those persecutions, trust in God's plan. Have confidence in His working out. What does Romans 8 say? All things for good to those who love Him. For although we sometimes doubt God's gospel promises when afflictions and persecutions enter, our, enter into our lives, such trials are evidence that we belong to Him. Just as Jesus' path to glory was through pain, so too is this true for His disciples in a world that is naturally opposed to our God and His gospel. So as we think about applying this, as we think about how we may turn this truth into our own prayer life, look again at verse 11. It begins, it begins to say to this end, we always pray for you. And then on, on, on further in the verse, it says that you may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. Again, do you see the godly focuses here? The heavenly mindedness of this prayer. Whether it's living in a life of persecution or in a life of peace, Paul's prayer is that they uh, fulfill every good purpose and act prompted by faith. How often do you pray this way for yourself or for others? A good brother was recently sharing um, with me about his uh, place of employment. Um, he and one other person there who uh, has, who has, you know, proclaimed that they have faith in Christ. And he said, you know, the other person doesn't really show a lot of fruit. And so I feel at times like I'm the only person there. I'm the only one there who, who believes in the Lord and who, who, who really does stand up for my faith and live in, in, in for my faith. And he said, it's hard sometimes because everyone else in the place where I work, they all know I'm a Christian. Every once in a while, there'll be remarks. Sometimes it's politically based. Sometimes it's, it's religiously based. But there'll be a remark. 
There'll be kind of a poke at my faith. As I walk up to a couple, they'll be not in front of him. He's a Christian, you know. It's hard. It's difficult. Sometimes for him, it's difficult to even discuss uh, matters of worldview differences because of the, he knows the, the arguments that it can cause. So the question is, is, might we pray for one another because we're all in some way in similar circumstances? Might we pray for one another to fulfill every good purpose and act prompted by faith no matter what situation that we're in? What might we plan to do also as we kind of look at life? What I mean by that is, is this. Every new year, most of us here will grab some kind of planner or notebook or something of that nature and we'll go, oh, we're going to establish some goals this year. I'm going I'm to eat less. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to take my wife out on a date once a, once a week. I'm going to, you know, we list all these goals and all these things and all of them are worthy and good. So we need to take care of our bodies. We need to take care of our wives, our families. We need to set up some maybe goals for our employment. But do we ever think about setting up goals for our spiritual lives? You know, to be honest with you, reading through the Bible is a pretty easy thing. I mean, it's hard, but it's a pretty easy thing to just put at the top of that goal list every year. But I would challenge you to think about other things in your spiritual life. So, you know, in that time, it, December is one of these weird times where there's kind of some downtime, but there's a lot of, you know, social activities. Who knows what this year will bring? Maybe you'll have more time. But in that December time, think about some spiritual goals for yourself. Maybe for your children, your, your spouse, your, your, um, your friends, the church. See, I don't think we think about those things enough, but think about how we may grow in faith. And as a matter of fact, let me tell you this, you don't have to wait till the new year. You could start tomorrow. Begin searching your heart, looking at where do I need to grow? Where do I see this person need to grow? Every once in a while, something will happen in the lives of our children and my wife will say, I've been praying for that. You know, I have things I pray for them too. They don't know I have this long list of goals that I pray for them. Will we pray in that way? As we're doing that, do you understand? We have confidence in God's plan that He is going to return in glory as the righteous judge and make all things right and new. But in the meantime, if we trust in this plan, even though our afflictions are going on, even though our persecutions are going on, we can trust that He will fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. So, as we end today, we want to end with one final question. Why? Just why would He set... His prayers in this way? Why would this be sort of this deeper level, this more spiritual mindedness be the basis of his prayers? And again, I want you to think about what I'm saying there. You know, he's, he's praying on a very much deeper level here than we typically pray for people. He's praying spiritual things, ultimate things. So why? Why is he doing that? The answer is our final point. 
It is short, but it is no less important than what we've already seen. He prays this for the focus of God's glory. This is Paul's focus of prayer. God's glory. Look at the final verse of our passage today. Uh, To the end here, Paul says, We pray for you so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God in the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose and the driving energy and all of history. Think about all the purposes that we can have. Paul's purpose and driving energy is the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.10, and and notice this, please get this. That's because it's Paul's, because it's God's. And what Paul has done is he has said, I'm getting in with God. No matter what, I'm going on God's path. And so that's Paul's. And it was Paul's when you look again and again and again in his life, in his writings, in the history, over and over again. Ephesians 1.10, he writes this. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. You see, God's glory is the focus of all things. And so Paul's prayer focus reminds us that our lives in the present are preparing us for the future. A future with the glory of God being proclaimed through the redemption and sanctification of His people. We will be His glory because we are co-heirs with Him. We will also receive glory, sharing in the honor of our Lord. This is received only with awe, only with thanksgiving, only by grace. Dr. Helen Rosevear, who was a a missionary in Zaire, I had the opportunity... um, when I was in college to hear her speak, wonderful lady, she tells this story about the prayer of the children that she was working with in Zaire. And so they had a mother um, who gave birth to a child one day, and the mother died during childbirth. So this child was, you know, without a mom, and it was, you know, smaller than normal. So they, they really tried to put together an incubation kind of area for the child, but the only water bottle they had had a hole in it. And so she gathered the little children together. She said, children, come on, let's pray, and let's pray that God would bring us a water bottle. We need a water bottle. So the little children prayed, and one little girl prayed specifically, Lord, Lord Jesus, we need a water bottle today. Because if we don't get that, this baby just might die. And so, Lord, please provide us with a water bottle. And by the way, would you provide a doll for this baby's sister so she won't feel so alone too? That afternoon, this is no lie, a box came from England. They opened a box and they dug through some of the supplies and the things. This was from a family that sent them a box of just things that they might need. And at the top of that box was a water bottle. The little girl looked at all the other little children. She said, you know what? If God gave us a water bottle, I bet there's a doll in there. 
And so she dug through the box. And sure enough, there was a doll. Praying for those ultimate things. Praying that we would grow deep in faith. Praying that we would look beyond this world and trust in the plan of God and thankfulness and all for His glory. That is the model that Paul sets before us. May our hearts and minds grow that way in our prayers. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your love and mercy to us. I ask that You would bless us this morning with a deeper understanding of prayer. That You would help us to see the, the, the incredible benefits it is to us. But also that you would see, that you would help us to see rather that it is a benefit, Lord, um, to give you praise, to give you glory, to rely on you with childlike hearts. Oh, Father, strengthen our prayers in the power of the Holy Spirit. That you would be glorified. That you would be praised. That's what we ask. For your glory and your glory alone, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.